0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and today I am joined by my friend, Gary Fletcher. The return of Gary Fletcher, I should say, because you've been on the podcast before. Thanks for joining me again.
1: They've allowed me back on one more time. You did make me wait a, a year. That I assume that was, you know, I was on the commissioner's list or something. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like being that's, on probation. Once a, a year, good. you get a you get a review.
1: <laughs> we'll anyway, we'll bump time. you off. Yeah, for good behavior, we might bump you off, Gary. <laughs> Given given the topic we're going to talk about, hopefully you've employed the seven second delay this time. So
0: yes, yes. Well, we'll we'll do our best. And so on that on that theme, the top, topic we're going to talk about. This is a little bit of an Arizona centric topic, so I apologize to anybody not in Arizona. However, some of these things are not necessarily unique to our great state, and there are very similar things happening in other states. And it's if you're sort of trying to search for a theme, there's sort of two themes here. One theme is uh, trying to find a way to work around the limitations on the state and local tax deduction. Arizona is in a cluster of states that have been trying to find a workaround to these quote unquote, salt deduction limitations. And then we we have this, I don't know, this is a somewhat Arizona-centric thing, but we have this thing where you can basically pass laws by referendum if you get enough signatures and you can get your, your uh, proposition on the ballot. California does a similar thing. Um, and we, from time to time, have tax tax law changes that get passed by a referendum. Um, you know, for the record, I vote against all of them, whether or not I agree with the substance of the idea or not, because I do not think that's a good way to to do tax policy. But, you know, be that as it may, um, that's what we do in this great state. So we had a very interesting one most recently, Prop 208. So we'll talk about that. It has to do with trying to fund uh, education, which Arizona, like many of its uh, sister states is not always keen to fund. So so uh, let's let's jump into the SALT deduction unless you want to reverse order on me.
1: No, that's cool. So we can go okay. you kind of reversed order on me, but I'm I'm docile enough to do that tonight. So, yeah. OK, um, so um, a lot of this stuff is Arizona specific or centric. The salt one, not so much, though, in that we now have, I believe the count is currently 14 states that have um, enacted uh, a workaround or a a PTE as the acronym goes or um, pass through Uh, so um, Arizona has passed house bill 2838 and it got signed in the middle of 2021 to become effective this tax year so this calendar tax year 2022 um so in the realm of the 14 states we are um, late to the game i guess you would say um there were three or four states that were early to the game and then um we've got an irs notice 2020-75 that kind of started this Um, domino effect of states adopting these statutes, which that that notice basically said, um, okay, states, um, we see that you're doing this workaround, which the the workaround in essence is um, you want to provide your state citizens or state residents, state taxpayers, an avenue to get around the state and local tax cap, the salt deduction cap, um, which after the 17 act um, is capped at 10,000 for a joint married filing joint couple or 5000 for a single. So you're enacting these to get around that and what you're in essence doing is allowing the pass-through entity, be it it an LLC or an S corporation, to pay a designated percentage income tax on the flow-through income that you're going to pass through to our resident taxpayers, um, and then in turn provide, uh, rather than a deduction, a credit to my resident taxpayer. Um, And there was some question up front about, you know, how was the IRS going to deal with that and were they going to backdoor the deduction taken by the entity? Because when they pay that tax, they're taking a deduction for that state income tax paid and reducing the amount at the federal level that they're flowing out to their state resident taxpayers. Was the IRS going to somehow backdoor that, no, that has to be an an add back, an adjustment at the individual level for your SALT deduction? And they came out with this notice 2020-75 and said, no, we're not going to do that um, with various rationales. But the bottom line was they said they weren't going to do that. So once they said that, there was a stream of states that um, got the legislation in play um, and, and Arizona being one of the latest passed in, in um, or got signed in mid-2021 to be effective for this calendar year. And um, in essence, how it works is that the entity um, elects to do that, but it's kind of like, um, it's a little bit like a 743, 754 adjustment at a partnership level where, well, the entity is the one electing to do it, but the individual member or shareholder is actually given the option to opt out so it's it's going to be at least within the Arizona statute administratively interesting because you could have a flow through entity be be it an LLC a partnership or S corporation with you know any number of shareholders or partners or members and each one of them gets to decide yeah I want you to do that no I don't want you to do that so for someone um, either managing an LLC, being a general partner in a partnership or a limited partnership or being uh, a, a managing shareholder in an S corporation. Uh, it's not a fun proposition. And then even more importantly to our crowd, for anyone trying to do the reporting and regulatory compliance, uh, it's a nightmare because, you know, they literally have to send out things to the members and shareholders to say, yeah, you want this? No, you don't. And they have to do it by dates because similar to um, individual individual arrangements or, or tax paying entity arrangements. Once you're in the system, you're required to make extension payments and estimate payments and all that kind of thing. So, uh, administratively it's, it's kind of a, a, a nightmare, um, at the Arizona level, getting down kind of in the weeds at the specifics as to, well, why would you have them do it? Well, the, the, the entity, um, will elect and pay the tax then once we come down to the individual so at the at the federal level they're getting an offset for the tax that's paid okay so we're getting a reduction that the individual wouldn't have ordinarily gotten or ordinarily wouldn't be able to avail themselves of because of the SALT limitation. Then we come down to the state the individual then needs to add back to their income for arizona purposes uh, the amount of the um, tax that was paid and deducted at the entity level so step one is add that back and then rather than taking a deduction as a state and local tax we're going to give you a uh, credit against your state income tax and then um if if that credit were to exceed your liability for that given year, then we've got a carry forward in the Arizona provision. We've got a carry forward of of five years after that.
0: After which you're you're sort of out of luck if you don't have enough uh, to in, so, in, income tax to be offset by the credit. You just sort of lose the balance of the credit.
1: Right. So in that regard, it's very similar or nearly identical to the the federal level limitation on charitable deductions where um, uh, you know where I'm finding a lot where you you need to time your charitable stuff at the federal level to make sure that you don't front load it so much that over the course of the current tax year plus five that you're not going to take full advantage of the deduction right so um, let's
0: so let's let's run through just a quick example, just so people kind of can wrap their minds around that. So let's assume that you and I are in a 50 50 partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I call all the shots, but we're in a 50 50 partnership, um, and we have say $100,000 of uh, income. Yep. Yeah. We, we've made $100,000. We could make this if well, both of us individually get to decide whether we want to sort of have this That's thing correct. apply to us. But let's just assume both of us have agreed that we want this to apply to us. The the entity makes an election or we make this election. Do we the, make the
1: election or does the entity
0: make the election on its return?
1: The entity does it does it on its return, but it does it at the the whim or decision, if you will, of the or or at the consent, if you want to call it that, of the individual partner or member. So you know, so if it's two of us, that's not that big a deal at the entity level. If it's 20 mm-hmm. of us, that's kind of a, a pain. That's a little harder, yeah. Uh, um, and and then you know, I expect where we're going to see this most will be where the numbers are significantly higher than what you're talking about, because because at least with regard to the Arizona provision, once you do that, the the tax that the entity is going to pay in is 4.5%, which which is our max state income tax rate in arizona even after all the rigmarole about the surcharge that we're going to talk about that is the max rate so if we make the election the entity's going to pay in four and a half percent so i suspect the more often than not where we're going to see this will be on entities that are flowing out higher higher dollar numbers uh, to the individual partners or members which will also coincide with individuals making another election that we're going to talk about here shortly
0: yeah Okay. No, you're right. So let's uh, let's change the facts just a little bit. Let's assume the entity has a million dollars of income. So we make this election. There's forty-five thousand dollars that gets paid to the state of Arizona. That's split 50 Yep. Uh, so we, you know, we each get our uh, twenty-two point five. Yep. Uh, of uh, sort of allocation of that payment, we add that back into our income on our individual returns, and then we take a credit for the tax on that additional phantom income that we've added back onto our our return. So it neutralizes the tax hit to us, but the entity took the
1: deduction at the entity level. And because the entity took the deduction at the entity level, our K-1 that's going to kick out to us for federal purposes will reflect that tax having been deducted. So mm-hmm. instead of each of us having $500,000 flow out to us as K-1 ordinary income to report on our federal return, we're each going to have $500,000 minus 22 and $23,500 as our flow-through income for the federal. So effectively, what we've done at the federal level is taken our um, state and local income tax deduction without having to take it as an itemized deduction and have it subject to the SALT limitation. So at the federal level, right. we're getting a good deal by getting having a SALT workaround. Then at the Arizona level, um, as we're um, pretty accustomed to in Arizona with the number of, of um, credits that we have with regard to education and charitable organizations, et cetera, we've all become familiar with the fact that, okay, getting a credit is better than getting a deduction. So it's it's a little bit of, of cake and eat it too so um which is surprising that the IRS kind of acquiesced given where it was but um so yeah so we 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 get our state and local deduction indirectly at the federal level and then get a credit on Arizona and if the numbers play out such that you know that credit is more than we would have otherwise owed then we've got 5 years to go forward to eat it up
0: yeah so you get the okay so let let's back up maybe two steps for anybody wondering so with this this SALT deduction limitation individuals and trusts and estates are capped at $10,000 but an entity like a partnership or an S corporation or C corporation is not capped and that's why if we had a partnership the partnership could take a deduction for state and local taxes paid for as much as it wanted um, but the individual partners to whom the income from this partnership or S corporation this quote unquote flow through or pass through entity goes would be themselves individually capped at their individual level. So this that's why there's a workaround because you take that's the deduction right. at the that's... entity level and then that flows up to the owners who then basically just get all the money back
1: uh but they get it back from the state. So in that so in, in the example that you've posed with the with the million split in two mm-hmm. and forty five thousand paid, twenty two and a half thousand each, if uh, minus the workaround, if you will, I would have gotten a K1 that said, "Here, report 500,000 of income." And you know, oversimplifying, I would have paid the state of Arizona four and a half percent on that, twenty twenty two thousand five hundred. And then assuming no other state and local income taxes. So assuming that Arizona doesn't impose real property taxes, which it does, um, and personal property taxes, all you know, any any other state and local taxes, assuming I had no no others, that would mean and and assuming I'm filing jointly. So I'm not a single person or I'm not someone uh, married with a prenup. Where, whereby I'm filing separately, then rather than deducting 22.5 on my federal return, I would deduct 10 or 5 if I'm a single person or, or married filing separately. So, right. Hence the workaround. Right. So that's the workaround. You get and, uh, the you get now, the extra now. 12.5 yep. to yep. to deduct. Yeah. And, and that's at the federal level, and we're now up to 14 states uh, that are doing that. There were some early ones that are the, um, you know, some of the notable blue states with with much higher state income tax rates than than Arizona has. Um, you know, and there there was a lot of uh, talk about the salt limitation being politically directed at the at the blue states or or things like that, which is a little bit of an oversimplification because those of us with California climate clients know that. Yeah you're you're already deducting exorbitant real property taxes plus your income taxes state income taxes but you're also paying a federal alternative minimum tax as a result of that so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some of the some of the news reporting on that was surprisingly distorted surprisingly haha <laughs>
0: Well, that's consistent with anything that has to do with tax. As it when it gets filtered through the media, it's like it's it's a headline maker, but then the devil's really in the details.
1: Yeah. Nobody I, wants to
0: know the details.
1: Kind of kind of like, give me your tax return, and I'll know everything about your balance sheet. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Well. Uh, okay. So that covers the salt deduction workaround in Arizona. I think a lot of states are similar. It might not be identical in every state, but I think a lot of
1: states are pretty. No. Sub-
0: Like we didn't write it. We didn't like come up with the idea on our own.
1: No, I don't think we do that much originally like that. So so, but but there are 14 and they're all relatively comparable, obviously, with differentials for the, I mean, all but all the rates vary with regard to the, the rates that are existing for individuals in those in those states. But the con the concept is the same.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe one little word on that. So for anybody, certainly in our state and maybe in the other 13 or 14 states, uh, but certainly in Arizona, because this is effective for 2022, it means you don't get the benefit of this unless you have a pass-through entity. So you have to have a pass-through entity first, which means if you don't have one now, you kind of need to form it. Uh, You know, you've missed out on... Roughly the first quarter of the year, but you could still form a pass-through entity and have it be on a calendar year and, and you can sort of sneak in here for twenty twenty two, at least the last three quarters of it. And so, get some benefit.
1: So and in that regard, so we, we are one of of the fourteen, there are four five that are just now becoming effective in twenty twenty two. So some of these have been around since twenty nineteen, but But getting to your point of needing to have a flow through entity to avail yourself of this, it raises an interesting interesting point that um, all of us have any number of um, husband and wife entities out there that at least in our state and I think in many other states, at least community property states, um, can be treated as a single member disregarded entity. And if the numbers play correctly, it can cause you to alter your analysis of, well, do we want this to be reported as a single member entity or do we want to go ahead and be treated as a partnership and file a partnership return? Yep, exactly. Some very
0: strange conversations over the dinner table. Aren't they all? (laughs) (laughs) Be added to the list. (laughs) <laughs> Gee, honey, I've been thinking about that disregarded entity that we have. The what? Yeah. The disregarded entity. You know, the one that doesn't exist. You've been thinking about something that doesn't exist. I know. Just hear me out. I, I can just see should. how this is going to go.
1: I think we should take this partnership to the next level. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it official. <laughs> well, all right. Well, um, all right. That's that's probably enough on the salt <laughs> deduction limitation and workarounds. Yeah, it was starting um, to salty. Yeah. What about... Uh, okay, what about our Proposition 208? This was the proposition meant to raise money for education funding. Again, I you know, I think in, in substance, that sounds like a very good thing. Uh, again, I just take a personal stance that I vote no on all uh, tax proposals and referenda, just not because I'm against the substance of it, but just because I think that's bad tax policy. And I think
1: it turns out I'm not alone. Well, you know, we we if we want to look backwards at it, we had some hints that it may run into some issues just in the way it was drafted. So we'll we'll end up talking a little bit about why it's ended up where it is. But, um, uh, you know, it was brought about as a proposition on the Arizona ballot to raise money for K through 12 education. Um, But they were careful to word it such that the revenues generated would be considered grants. Um, And over the course of the last couple of years and more recently about 12 days ago, we've come to find why why that was important. Um, the proposition proposition to a past in November of 2020, um, which in, in, in very basic terms, it would impose a surcharge or a surtax of three and a half percent on any married filing joint couple earning uh, with taxable income rather more than 500000 and a single taxpayer with taxable income more than 250000 So prior to that, the, the top income tax rate in Arizona was four and a half percent. So worst case scenario. From a taxpayer standpoint, basically that meant if you had income at that level, instead of being at a marginal rate of four and a half, you would be at a marginal rate of 8%. So that caused all kinds of chaos and hand flailing and all kinds, all kinds of stuff. So um, and there there were challenges, uh, court challenges, one of which or the, the most prominent one was actually brought on behalf of legislators in Arizona, uh, with one of the premises being that, well, it's unconstitutional to pass a revenue producing tax by a majority vote on a ballot like that, as opposed to legislatively. Um, so that worked its way through the court system but in the in the meantime um some other behind the scenes work or workarounds came about and where where we've landed is here is that the proposition worked its way through the court system. It made its way up to the Arizona Supreme Court uh, in 2021 with a ruling that came out in August of 2021 that at one level said, well, we're not going to strike this down as unconstitutional. We're going to let it stand um, and can be interpreted to say, well, it's okay to pass a revenue producing law like this uh, by a majority vote as opposed to a two thirds vote or, or a pass in the legislature. We're going to let that stand, but um, they kind of kicked the can and said, we need to know how much revenue this is projected to uh, generate, because if it's going to generate more than what is um What more than what has been permitted in the budget process and legislatively to be spent on K-12 education, then it's unconstitutional. So the way that we'll deal with that, this is the Supreme Court talking, the way that we'll deal with that is we will kick it back down to Lucky Judge Hannah in Maricopa County, who had been handling the case originally, and say, we're going to remand to you, and you make a determination of whether the revenue to be generated would exceed the approved limit, and if it would, then the whole um, the whole provision is struck. And it came back down, um, and it was taking some time. And then there was an interim challenge uh, by some of the uh, Republican legislature to come in and say he's he's taking too long to decide. All he has to decide is. Is it going to generate more revenue than what was approved or not? So Supreme Court, you decide and just strike it down. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. He has until March 11th. Uh, So on March 11th, he issued his uh, opinion uh, that it it would generate more revenue than what had been approved. And based on the guideline and instruction that had rolled down to him from the Supreme Court, he in essence said, I have no choice but to rule this uh, as done. Uh, So as of March 11th, 208 is theoretically dead, although with the way the Supreme Court handled it, kicking it down to the Superior Court judge, at least in theory, his decision is still ripe for some type of an appeal here out. Um, so that has created chaos in and of itself. But then in 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 the meantime, while all that was going on, there was a lot of just in case scurrying around uh, and we we passed some additional legislation in 2021 that is unique to arizona such that we now have something um, effective for tax year 2021 so effective right now right in the season that we're talking about called a small business income return um, and basically what that says is that an individual who ordinarily would be filing an individual return with all its elements can make an election to extract certain parts of their income and remove them from their individual return and shove them down down the, the bar top over here to something called a small business income tax return, with an end result being that that the amount that you've extracted and reported on the other return is going to be subject to a flat 3.5 percent rate. Now. Why that's of import. Number one, we had we had a top margin rate of four and a half percent for individuals in Arizona. Um, And and we also had some additional interim legislation that said, okay, we know this proposition said the surcharge is 3.5%, so 4.5 plus 3.5 would have made a top rate of 8. We're not going to let that happen, so so we'll have some legislation in between that basically ensures that our max rate stays at 4.5%. So the end result of that legislation, which did pass, which is where we sit as of this March 11 ruling and where we sit today, was, all right, if the surcharges, going to stand then the max rate once we get over that five hundred thousand dollar level for joint return filers or 250 for single people is one percent so you can go ahead and charge your surcharge but you're going to be surcharging in addition to one percent so that it's still four and a half so so that's where we stood up until this march 11th ruling so in theory the march 11th ruling says the surcharge goes away <laughs> um but the department of revenue for arizona had already adjusted to you know pre- printed all their tables and put it out on the internet and everything that the the income tax rate for income above those levels is one percent now the three and a half percent has gone away so the alcohol intake of cpas normally goes up at this time of year right now it's off the charts because everybody is scrambling for and even the the major electronic filer or 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 third party um systems that people pay a lot of money to use are scrambling to catch up to this
0: um, and it's it's retroactive i mean that's the ridiculous thing no, i mean if is. something's on so, if something's unconstitutional that means it was unconstitutional from the beginning you don't get you know like you don't get to play by the old rules for 2021 and then only have to play by these new rules beginning
1: 2022 so so the only so the only save there the only save there is that interim legislation that i just talked about where they said okay on the assumption that the three and a half percent surcharge stands we're going to change the max rate over those income levels to one percent so even pe- even people who have filed already have not paid 8%. The the max that they've been paying has been four and a half based on that change. What Mm -hmm. will change, (laughs) two things. Number one, the department has already said, if you've already filed or if you file before we correct everything to take this into account, we're going to hold your returns in suspense um, because what it will change is where that money that came in is directed. Right. Since right. the three and a half percent was supposed to be earmarked to go directly for K through 12 versus general fund money, mm-hmm. we're going to hold that and see where the chips fall later. So, I, ironically, you know, this proposition came about um, with with the purpose of trying to generate money for K through 12 with with the, with the prop having been, for the moment, struck down, that doesn't happen. And now in the interim, we've got this workaround that I'm about to talk about, which is still in play. So in theory, we could have an end result of, yeah, we don't get this additional revenue to be directed to K-12. through And in the meantime, we get less regular income tax for the general fund. Mm-hmm. A Yeah, a win-win. All right. Yay. <laughs> so anyway, so the workaround is the small business income tax return where you can make an election um, and shift certain income over to this other return that will be taxed at a flat three and a half percent. That three and a half percent is for 2021. The the interesting thing is that that rate um, graduates down over the next five years. It goes down to three percent in 2022, 2.8 percent in 23 and 24 and down to two and a half percent in 25 and thereafter. So originally when this was implemented you know the differential that we could be looking at at these high income levels was well you're going to pay three and a half instead of eight now it's three and a half instead of four and a half but by the time we get to 2025 it's two and a half instead of four and a half which on some of these higher income levels is a significant amount amount of money and the the income that you can shift from your individual return over to small business tax income tax return is Schedule B interest and dividends, so your brokerage statement, because, of course, that's your business, right? Your Schedule C profits, so your sole proprietorship. Your Schedule Schedule E flow through, which is where a lot of this income is going to be coming from on on some of these individuals flowing through from any number of LLCs or S-corp entities. Or your your SALT deduction workaround entity. Exactly. The,
0: The Gary Brent special Salt exactly. deduction workaround the, partnership, yeah. The two
1: for one workaround, right? Mm-hmm. Not the yeah, okay. <laughs> um and and the schedule F uh farm income, schedule 4797, which is sale of business property, 4835 farm rentals, and then certain schedule D transactions, so capital gains, um not just on not on sale of publicly traded traded stock. But if you were selling uh closely held stock or selling a business and selling the goodwill or going concerned value, that qualifies for this. So, so if this comes about in a year where I sell my small business and I make $10 million, then suddenly that differential between four and a half percent, because it, remember, at Arizona, we we don't have a capital gain rate. It's just a rate. So that differential between four and a half percent to three and a half now or two and a half in a few years becomes a big deal. Um, and where we stand yeah. right, right now is, yeah, we don't have Prop 208. That's gone. But we have these workarounds. Um, and at least in the near term, the likelihood of the workarounds would seem to be small um so <laughs> the likely the likelihood of repealing the yeah. workarounds
0: yeah, yeah no nobody's
1: even not with the, about not it. with the current makeup anyway so yeah no. um so and so, so some of the things that that come into play right now that are that are wreaking havoc in the professional realm is all right so this is a separate return number one when was it due because any other entity return Several years ago, Arizona took the position that we're going to make those all due March 15th. Well, that's not the case on these. These are due the same time as an individual return. Then the question becomes, all right, well, most of the people with these situations are not filing in April. They're usually getting extensions. So then it's, all right, well, everybody's accustomed to Arizona um, um, giving credence to a federal extension unless you need to make a payment. So, do I need a separate extension for this small business income tax return? Uh, Do I need one if I need to make a payment? Do I need one if I don't need to make a payment? And of course, all these issues are things that that are, are answered in detail, not uh, so you'll
0: find out you'll find out in 2023.
1: Exactly, exactly. So um, so a lot of things came about as a result of Prop 208 getting passed and a lot of things remain in existence, even though Prop 208 may have now gone away all of which everybody is scrambling and having trouble being late to the game trying to adjust to in, in, including the department of revenue so
0: yeah no it's a it's a real nightmare and i noticed on your list uh we're not wage w2 wages those don't get shifted onto these returns so
1: and and that's you know so interestingly um and and some folks have become grown accustomed to this issue a little bit once the the 199A deduction came into effect at the federal level Yeah, because uh, it's not uncommon for uh, someone to come into your office with a small business that, especially if it's an S-corporation, um, where uh, it's it's just them and a couple people or just them and nobody. And it's very profitable. It's making a lot of money, and they're drawing everything almost everything out as a wage. Um, so you know, the, the, we already kind of had an issue to deal with at the federal level with balancing out, well, you need to pay yourself a reasonable compensation and all that, but why are you paying everything out as a wage? Now, at the state level, somebody in that position that's rolling out, you know, 500,000 or a million dollars to themselves and and treating it all as a wage, uh, they don't have the ability to shift over to this small business or shift that particular income over to this return. Uh, And again, even though it may be 1% or 2% later on those kind of numbers, it's, it's a material number. So. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a thicket. We've done it to ourselves is all I can say. We've done it to ourselves. Tax simplification. It's very reactionary uh, tax legislation that some I can't even really say well-meaning, but some uh, enterprising legislators decided to enact instead of waiting for the court process
1: to play out. Sure, sure. And then but then like like you said at the beginning of this, when it, when a basically a tax provision comes up as a proposition, you know maybe the inclination to just say no, just because of the way it's coming about, maybe maybe this is example an example for the future as to why that no might be a good idea because it results in reactionary legislation in the opposite direction, and here we sit with the reactionary legislation, which people will rightfully take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Um, without the front end of the the revenue generation for the the well-meaning purpose so
0: yeah and in in the meantime education has not been funded to the levels that uh, look and to call a sort of like call a spade a spade like the voters want to raise more money for education i mean they did they did vote for this proposition
1: proposition yep
0: and it it passed easily uh so The voters have spoken on the issue, but the legislature is not really falling into line to give them what they want just in a way that the legislature is more comfortable with. And that, I think, is a little bit of a breakdown in the democratic process in in our state. But, you know, I don't think we're unique. I don't think we invented that problem. I think it exists in many places.
1: Well, and it also—I mean—it flushes out the reality that if the if the problem if the pro, well if the reason the proposition came about to begin with was insufficient funding, right? And the proposition passed, and the problem with the proposition is it's going to raise too much money and exceed a state government-determined limit. Well, the state government could change that, and they were yeah. requested to, and that the, the response was we got plenty of money. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Well, they do have plenty of money, it's a surplus, but they don't want to spend it on education, Gary. Sure. They you know, have other designs for that money.
1: And then and then you get into the weeds of you generate the money and send it down to the, the school districts and you know, does it make its way down to the classroom or kind of stay stay at the administrative level where it rolls in? So there's bureaucratic problems at all all levels
0: there are top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel yep. yep well wow what a what a fun time for you Gary and your your like-minded individuals I'm glad I don't do any tax returns
1: actually you know, every year you know when I when I started practice uh-huh early on and and told my lawyer colleagues, since I'm a lawyer and a CPA, that, you know, we actually do returns and we think it provides us with, you know, additional insight in doing planning because you actually know where the numbers go and all that kind of thing. Any number of times I was told by lawyer colleagues, life is too short. (laughs) That always rings true right about now.
0: Yeah, well, Hopefully, you can do a good job of um, controlling the number of returns that you're filing for clients. Yeah, yeah, it's not the it's not the only source of income for you. Thankfully,
1: that's that's
0: you correct. have other talents.
1: That, yeah, that's correct. Some of which can be broadcast. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as usual, uh, it was fun. Thank you very much again for joining me.
1: Yes, indeed. Thank you for having me back.
0: We will do it again in the future, Gary. You've you're off
1: probation. <laughs> Sounds great. Can I take the egg ankle bracelet off now? Yeah, or? you can.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. Cool. Thank you, Brent. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at WealthAndLaw.com and follow me on social media at and law. I'll see you there.